Blackwater, the Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, the Flying Tigers, the Swiss Guard, the White Company, the Knights Templar, the Varangian Guard, Clerkus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, Guns for Hire, Soldiers of Fortune, Private Military Companies, Private Security Contractors, Dirty Deeds, done not so dirt cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They have been around for a very long time, and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. So you better get used to it, grow up, and accept it, or move to another planet. Because these days, in this world, folks, money trumps everything. And like it or not, wars are good, very good, for business. Furthermore, history tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means as greed, corruption, oppression, and tyranny than by any other means. Money, profits, and propaganda. Call it psychological operations or call it psychological conditioning. You are being gaslit. So choose the red pill. Remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. Life as a private security contractor in a hostile or a war-torn zone, or as some call it, an austere or a non-permissive environment. Well, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good and some not so good. All in all though, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. The MENA region or the Middle East North Africa region. Lands of enchantment, lands of mystery, lands of the old ones and the ancient ones. Myths legends, folklore, maybe. If you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centered around what we refer to as the MENA region. That's right, the Mediterranean. And you probably also know that to every legend or myth, there is a base of at least some truth. With that said, I'm going to go straight over to my guest, my special guest for this episode of Aconis the Contractor's Life. I'm going to let him introduce himself and say what he wants to say so I don't muddle it up and get it all wrong. Take it away. <laughs> I feel like I should have taken notes for this and then brought notes with me. Uh, hello everyone, my name is Douglas Hardman, uh, 29 years old, or young at this point, depends your point of view. I, I'm not old yet until I hit 30 at least, so I'm so young. Uh, I spent three years from 2013 to 2016 in the Army and the Infantry, stationed out in Germany. 
Uh, nine months of that, I got to spend in the Baltic states, thanks to Russia's annexation of Crimea. So, good times, like to travel, got to see a lot of views from Europe that way. Uh, I got sick of the snow because we were there in the wintertime. So, after 2016, I said, all right, no deployment, it's time to get out of here. Went to college in Arizona, in Tucson. Beautiful weather, love the desert. I have two bachelor's degrees in philosophy, politics, economics, and law. That's one. And the second one's in philosophy of ethics. So did that, graduated May of 2020. I was one of those fun people. I got told, hey, one extra week for stream break, and COVID's going to be over after that because, you know, we just need an extra week to kill, you know, kill that COVID off. Uh, that sucked. That was a lie. So ended up October working at CentOS. I'll mention it by name. That's fine. They like me, I think. CentOS, uniform company. Uh, I started as a supervisor. They may not after I'm done talking. Yeah, but right now we're still on good terms. Uh, worked there for a bit over a year, and now we're in New Mexico. To, you know, that was my nine to five adult job. I always say my first real big boy job. Hmm. Uh, wasn't my tempo. Didn't pay decent. You know, good company and all that, but it just wasn't for me. Uh, went to Kuwait to try to get some overseas contracting time. Which there we go. There's the Elkonis part. Uh, did about four or five months there. I'm like, man, this has some issues with that, uh, which I'll bring up afterwards. And then left that backpacked month in Europe with that money I did save up, which was nice. And now we're for Gavin Becker and Associates. So it's a recent thing for me. Nice. That's my, my stateside job. Uh, and you know, a lot of guys I've known, a lot of guys I've worked with in the past um, have gone to work or worked for. GDBA before they went overseas and or after they got back from doing that. And, you know, some have good things to say, some have not so good things, but for the most part, and from what I hear, they've made quite the comeback, whatever the problems were, they fixed those issues. Yes. Uh, that was something they told us going through the Academy and learned about the company and all that. They have you, once you do all your, your interviews and things like that and through the whole process, uh, you go to a two week Academy uh, basic stuff like physical fitness, a little bit of shooting, uh, a little bit of hand-to-hand combative stuff, just to kind of see how you handle situations and stress. Can you put a suit on and then go work, this and that? Uh, they actually offer it to anybody. They have an academy. I think it's mm. a pretty penny, but they offer like a two-week executive protection academy, and you can learn from them and all their, their assets, which is nice. But uh, they mentioned the company used to be pretty small when Gavin himself had it, and actually he sold it to some big corporation. And they just came in and started, like, cutting budgets left and right, putting anyone they could get in, just staffing bodies. I guess a lot of the higher-ups were like, no, this, is, this isn't what we signed for. They got hold of Gavin. Uh, he bought, ended up being like, yeah, that's not the company I wanted. Bought back majority control, and he's kind of retaken over as a, you know, it, it's his company. It's a closely held kind of family hmm. cared about company, which a lot of people say, oh, we always care about our partners, and we care about our employees and this and that. I've uh, been here two, three months of the company, and it, it actually feels like that. Like, they do care about you, and you huh. can really, that open-door policy exists. Like, if I want to reach out to Gavin himself, I'm told yes. Like, you know, if no one else answers that question, Gavin, like, that's fine. You're not going to hurt anyone's feelings by doing that. Right. So. But well, that's nice, man. That's good to hear. Uh, that, uh, you know, I, <laughs> you know, interestingly, uh, you know, when I, uh, I want to say it was 20, hmm, I want to say it was 2011, uh, December of, I think it was 2011, no, it was before then, it was 2010, I guess it was, I, okay, so I'm, I'm just trying to think, here it was, because it, it, it ties in with what you're saying, 
because um, I'd come back. Yeah. So it was 2010, the winter of, you know, December of. Um, I finally had my my final almost came to fisticuffs bout with the supervisor there that they finally got rid of. Everybody knew what I said about him was right. But um, anyway, long story short, uh, a, a good buddy of mine, uh, he came home shortly thereafter as well. And, and from what I understand, a lot of guys had had enough. They threw in the towel and, they, and the company at the time lost the contract approximately six months after I left <clears throat> to the guys on the other side of the airport who I knew yeah. at least one of those guys. And I knew they were what they were coming over to visit us for. I knew why they were coming over talking to the end client. I knew what they were doing. Um, and I had a pretty good feeling they would do it. But anyway, so he went to work for GDBA. He asked me mm-hmm. if I wanted to be part of that. And I remember looking at their salary and, and you know, I read everything at their website and it's like, okay, well, you know, cause I don't know about now, but then you had to buy the book and read the book. That, uh, the uh, technology, digital copies. Now I got digital copies for, for books. So that's okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, <laughs> that's free. Something about fear, the gift of fear. The gift of fear. Right. It's a good book. I recommend reading it. Yeah. Okay. So no, that's not me drinking the Kool-Aid either. Yeah. And I was okay. It was like, well, if I got to do that to get in, okay, whatever. But for a long, I think that the, um, because I, I could have been convinced and I was being, I knew I was going down, I was headed down that path. I was like, okay, yeah. But then it's like, there was that little uh, disclaimer there. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been at their website in a while. You have to reside wherever you live. You have to be within 30 to 45 minutes maximum from their core service area. And I was talking to my buddy, said, dude, on a good day, I can be there in an hour and a half. (laughs) On a good day. I know uh, for me, for that, they, they maybe change the wording a bit. They recommend you live like 30, 45 minutes from whatever site you're working. And their idea is that they don't want you commuting there and back over an hour a day. You're losing to commuting and stuff like that. Uh, I'm in Texas. There's some big cities in Texas. It takes me an hour to get to work. They don't, they don't care. Okay. Uh, that's a recommendation now. And so, yeah, they don't, they don't. They didn't ask, oh, how far are you going to live? What, what mileage? How many minutes will I take it? They don't, they don't care about that. They're okay. Uh, okay. Actually, too, I wasn't even – I was – I've moved around a lot. I think I'm legally a New Mexican resident. I don't know if the IRS hear this. I have a Texas driver's license, and then they were trying to push me to California for work. And I'm like, whatever. I'll, I'll work wherever. If the opportunity is right, you know, I'll take it. Then they saw my Texas license or one of the interviews, and they're like, well, why are you leaving Texas? I'm like – because you offer me California, they go okay. We can offer you Texas then. I'm like okay, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. Huh. So I 180. So I they asked me to. I almost I was afraid I wasn't gonna get the job. They asked me, hey, where are you living? Because I was with I was with y'all in Albuquerque. Uh, left from there to the academy in my car, packed up with most of what I need. I remember. <laughs> and then I was I drove uh, the academy's in California in the Los Angeles area. I hung out for a week. I have a college friend out there. I spent about a week with her. And then I got the, the offer for Texas. I'm like, so I had to drive all the way back. But they asked, like, well, how long would it take you like, to, to move if you had to move to Texas? How long would it take you to move back? I'm like, I just have to drive there. Like, I'm fine. Like, I'm living out, I'm living out my car. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have told them I'm living out my car right now. But <laughs> it is what it is. It is. That's funny. Uh, so, so you're still working for those guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so uh, for anybody that's listening um, – you know, because they they were the thing for a while, and then they they 
for lack of a better term, they went downhill for a number of years. And you've already talked about that. But so what you see now on the ground and what you've experienced, I mean, you're still with them. So I'm assuming it's a good thing. Yeah, it's good enough. Yeah, especially for uh, the people I've talked to and things like that. There was I've met about three rehires in my time just throughout the company that have left because, yeah, they did it. Maybe it wasn't for them. They tried some other companies out. Like, no, like GDBA was definitely better than what I was getting elsewhere. Uh, the pay is starting off. It, it's on the website too. The pay is starting off not great. Right. Uh, like anywhere, it's not great. Not too much room for negotiation. But with their company, you get four promotions in a two-year period, and every time you get promoted, you can haggle for a little bit more, which okay. is nice. Uh, my plan is now that two-year period is what it takes for you to finish all their protector classes and levels and kind of graduate up with different skill sets and you know. To the point where you're you're a team leader kind of thing. Uh, I'm gonna give it two years. I have my master's degree. I'm working on now. I'm working on my master's in intelligence operations. Uh, two years, I get my master's done. See what's good then. After two years, they even said on their website. After two years, you'll either be offered, uh, you know, like a, a team leader spot with the company, or you can leave the company. You have certificates. You know, they'll, they'll uh. give you all the credentials you need for two after two years and everything. So that's the thing. You have a two-year commitment, and they'll they'll give your credentials if you want to leave, which is nice. nice Well, it is, and that brings up a couple things. I've talked about this stuff before, but it's uh, it's interesting that it's it's there at Gavin because there's a couple companies I worked for, maybe three. It's either two or three that I worked for overseas that wanted the one-year commitment, and they wouldn't give you the certs for this and the certs for that until you've been there for at least a year. And I left two of them early, and they wouldn't give them to me. So I'm like, oh my. Yeah, you know, I am curious because they have, you know, after 16 weeks, that's kind of your initial entry pay job training kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, if I do that, say I do 17 weeks and then I quit. Do I get that certification for that? You know, that first that first one, that automatic one, you know, how's that? I'm curious how that works, but I guess I'll give me two years to see what happens. Yeah, well, you know, and so the other thing I would just say and that's and, and you and you kind of laid that groundwork for me is that, you know, because I've said I don't have a problem with commitments as long as I feel good about it. But there's been times I felt good about it. And I got in there. It's like, man, this is just dumb. This is just dorky. This is just stupid, straight up BS. OK. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't take this clown circus show anymore. I'm out. If you can't mm-hmm. fix it, I'm out. <laughs> you know, but that said, the commitment you're talking about, I mean, that does a lot of things. One you know, as far as they're concerned and people who think that way, you lived up to your commitment. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and for some people, that goes a long way. OK, you, you did what you said you do. Uh, and then the other thing is you, regardless of whether it really helped you or not, and you can you can hearken on this, is um, all the instructional training periods that you get. Uh, I mean, it's got to fill in the gaps, if not teach you new stuff, right? Or put mm-hmm. a new perspective on things. So, I mean, it's good for your career growth. You're going to meet people. Um, you've got this experience going for you. And I know there was a time overseas where working for GDBA, especially if you've been there for a while and you at a certain level, that went a long way um, on a lot of these contracts. That's what I've heard. Uh from people even with the company and outside that I've talked to and mentioned the company name that are aware in the security industry. And they say, yeah, like it, it, it's a good company. It's a good place to be. Some, if I love it, 
if it's still like this, maybe I'll keep staying past two years. You know what I'm doing now. I, I enjoy it. Uh, it's a good time. And if I like it, I like it. That's cool. But I've heard other people say, yeah, like it has, it still has a name behind it. If I leave and I've, you know, I'm good staying with the company and I leave, that's going to help me out. And that's one of the things with me lacking the military deployments that I did because thanks to Russia and Eastern Europe, you know, I was back on the Russian border. Oh, yeah, I was back on the Russian border before it was cool. I was there 2015, 2016 before anyone really gave a crap about that. Uh, you know, I need to get something. I need some more experience. And kind of like what you said, too, which made me think about it. I'm ready to talk shit about it. The, the Quake contract I was on. Mm. Uh, Horde. 11.50 an hour. Uh, 12 hours on post. Your transition time to get, you know, to take someone over. About 30 minutes from arriving to getting your weapons and leaving. Then 30 minutes from your time off post to drop off your weapons and leave. It's about 13 hours on base. Uh, you got paid for 12 because they factored in that extra hour you were there. And so you're $11 hours, an hour. So <clears throat> we made less than that. <laughs> per diem was okay. But the whole, <clears throat> excuse me, that whole contract. Yeah, after like a couple months, I'm like, nope, nope, I'm done. I, I don't care. I'm out. Uh, you know. That's so funny, man, because I, I know I wasn't the only one, but I remember thinking exactly what you're think what you're talking about somewhere between my second and third month over there with that same project contract. Uh, I stuck it out, you know, for a lot of the reasons we've already talked about. But, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I said, no, that's where uh, I met Snuffy, though. Oh, really? I, that's where I met him. And then, you know, a couple I, that's what we joked about. I'm like, hey, I met him four months later. We're sharing a room in, in Albuquerque. You know, it came pretty quickly. And he said, don't judge the contracting world off that contract. So that's not it. That's not what it's like. Uh, I guess they're increasing the pay. That's cool. Forever stays. Okay. I'm I'm good. My biggest issue. Besides, I mean, the day sucked and this and that, but whatever. You know, I banked a lot of money in a short period of time. I needed overseas deployment time for the WIPs contracts, the higher up, you know, better contracts. Uh, a lot of the times they're not counting the Baltics for me. So there's nine months that they don't really count. Cause I was stationed in Europe as, you know, as a European deployment kind of stuff. But like I said, I, I knew the Russians in the border. That's a lot scarier than sitting in Kuwait, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, I asked the, the, the amount of times I got told different things going up the management chain of, Hey, is this, I talked to one contracting company and I said, Hey, I mean, I'm in Kuwait doing this contract in a year. I like to move on. I want to reach out uh, so I can roll from one to the other. That'd be great. And they said, Oh, department of state doesn't count Kuwait time. Like, well, what do you mean? Department of state doesn't count Kuwait time. They go, yeah, they don't count as high threat anymore. They're like as of like 2015. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. And then, and then I went back to the company I was working for and contracting under. And the one manager was like, yeah, it counts. And I'm like, Hmm. And I went above them. And they said, no, it doesn't count as deployment time. And then one above said, yeah, it counts as deployment time. No, it doesn't count as deployment time. I'm like, <laughs> that's when I'm like, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, that's enough uh, for me. I, right. I'm, like, I, I'm making decent money, but if I hate my life and I'm not getting any deployment time out of this, I'd rather make less money, you know, in the bank and right. enjoy myself. Right. Well, it's interesting because uh, a lot of things have changed in, in that region of the world, uh, specifically what we're talking about, the contracting stuff. Um, there was a time and I don't know, I don't know when exactly it ended and I'm trying to recall, but it was part of the logistics program. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was called, but anyway, uh, but it, 
And I want to say it depends on who you talk to, but somewhere between 2006 and 2008 slash 2009, some say it went as late as 2010. That's about where they started looking at it and saying it's no longer considered part of that high risk stuff. But it might have gone a little bit later, 11, 12, 13. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and that. And, and, but I'm glad you brought that up because that does help to clarify for guys that are because those contracts are still out there. Guys still read them. We still hear about them. We still talk mm-hmm. about them. And and I've always said to anybody, if you want to work Oconus, and for whatever reason, maybe maybe you've got the creds, but it's been so long that you need to knock off some of that rust and dust and get back in the game and reacquaint yourself with stuff. Um, the, what we call the starter contracts. Nothing wrong with that. OK. And it gets you you get to get inside and see what it's like. And it's like, do you really want to be a part of this? OK. Um, but, yeah, the um, so you said WPS. So for those that don't know, um, do you want to? Do you want to tell them briefly what WPS is and, and you know, both what WPS, I mean, literally WPS is and then the program itself? Yeah. So uh, the Worldwide Protective Services and the breakdown I've always used for it, I've been told about it, is you're guarding the consulate or you're guarding the embassies overseas. They're usually the security, either static there or maybe uh, if there's some diplomats nearby, if they don't have the uh, DSS, the diplomatic state security, if they're not nearby, the web team may pick up and you're doing the escort missions, you're doing the advances, you're doing the escort missions, uh, make sure the politicians are safe overseas if the State Department themselves can't necessarily provide the security given whatever reasons. So a little more small team, a little more hands-on, a little more questionable countries maybe, uh, a little more excitement, maybe a little more pay too than what you may find elsewhere. But that's that's my goal, spend more time. I, I love to travel. Uh, I spent 20 years in America and then got stationed over in Germany. So I'm like, I spent 20 years in America. I don't need to spend another 20 years there. I know if I can get on travel, I'm still kind of younger, more than happy to do that. I got to sit in Paris, you know, 29 years old, sat in Paris and drank a bottle of wine, looking at the Eiffel Tower. It's cool. It's a cool thing to do. Right. Right. Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that that that's uh, attractive about um this blue collar line of work contracting overseas because like you said the travel um whether you work there or you just you're going through there for a day or three days or five days uh, before you go on to somewhere else yeah you get to see a lot of places and meet a lot of people and um it's it's a real eye-opener especially if you spend any on the ground time even if you're just walking around town or in the taxis or in the airports just talking with people I mean, it's a real eye opener and sometimes it can be pretty refreshing because you realize that, you know, as so many of us are fond of saying these days, the media we know is so full of caca, the mainstream media. Anyway, mm-hmm. they're so full of caca. They like to scare and drum things up and make it way more than it really is. And it's like, you know, yeah. you you folks haven't even been there. <laughs> and if you have, you were surrounded by a protective security team. So give me a break. <laughs> What, yeah, because I've walked around, I mean, being stationed in Europe, too, I've seen a lot of you know, European countries, and I always hear, New York's usually safe, and all oh, knife attacks, all the terrorist attacks, and yeah, you had the, the, the Vatican, you know, the Nice stuff you know, a couple of years ago, but they're very rare. I went to Paris. Paris, people are snobs. I had a random man that we were both waiting at the same bus stop. Bus weren't coming because of some protests, I guess, on the west side of the city, going to the same, uh, the same plaza. 
And he's going to Metro. I'm like, hey, can I follow you? He was like, yeah, come on. So I just followed a stranger home. That was it. And I was fine. <laughs> Guy was polite, no issues. Didn't get kidnapped or murdered. Uh, I've seen Taken. I didn't get Taken like the movie Taken. So, it, you know, the world's not so bad. That's what I say. When you get out and travel a bunch, and like you said, getting out and meeting people is good. Not only people from different cultures and different experiences, but in the contracting world, networking. I mean, that's that's how you hear about good stuff. That's how you get around. I think networking is a huge thing. And even the couple months in Kuwait, I mean, that's why I met Snuffy, which got me to New Mexico. That's why I met you then, and then some other people. Uh, and it just keeps branching out from there. It does. And, and, and it's like everything else in life, you know, and, and, and you're learning this, you know this. But um, and I'm probably not going to say anything that some a lot of people maybe don't already know. But the longer you're around and the more you do it, the the, the better and easier it gets, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, you just get, and, uh, you know, so. But the, the, the thing you got to be careful of is what they call. I don't know what they call it now, but they used to call it stepping out of line or getting out of line. In other words, you're in line because you're either in the funnel to get there. Okay, everything's being processed or been processed. Now it's just a waiting game, mm-hmm. um, and or you're in there. Okay, you've gone through the shoot. You're in it, but for whatever reason, like me, you said, you know what, man, you wake up one day. I've had enough. I need a break from this. Trying to get back in is a real bi. You know what? It's a beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, once you're in, brother, stay there if that's what you like. Oh yeah, and that's uh, part of the reason. You know, after dipping my toes with the the Kuwait stuff, I'm like, mm, I'm not sure about going back that way. If I can find another way in, definitely will try to find another way in. Uh, figured I have my domestic experience now. Uh, it, executive protection is residential security. You're doing you're doing advances in the field. You're doing securing venues, your scouting venues and stuff like that. It's good experience, at least domestically, for something like the WIPS program or some other kind of contracting, any kind of security field. I mean, it's good to have these kind of things. Right. I just figured, give myself two years. If I like the company a lot, I'll stay. Uh, or it's, it's starting to dip my toes back in the contracting world again after that, which I know probably, and like I said, too, the time it takes for some of these contracts to go through, after about a year, I'm going to start kind of poking my head out and reaching out a little bit and being like, hey, I'm doing this and this and had this experience. So I'll be getting this experience the next year. You guys hiring, you know, are we going to be putting people in Ukraine in a year doing security work? I mean, who knows? Well, you know, interestingly, I was going to talk and I'll, I'll circle back to it here in a minute. But interestingly, you bring that up and I'm not going to spill any beans, but I have heard that there are American private entities in Ukraine. I've seen some, for what it's worth, some of the job boards you can get on, some of the postings, but you don't never necessarily, uh, what's the one, ever can find it. Was it shooter jobs or clearance jobs? One of the two. And they'll have, they're just job boards. You don't know necessarily who's posting them. That's just the collection point. It was six months ago, I think, about the start when Russia officially declared war. It was paid about 5,000 bucks a day to go into Eastern Ukraine. And they wanted like, they wanted like special forces, Delta guys, you know, they wanted the top tiers. Uh, they're going into Eastern Ukraine and then extracting H- HVTs or HVTs. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And that, So they, they were doing that at least. I'm like, okay. And that was kind of like, yeah, the rich people who want out safely or maybe they left something at their house. They want to make sure a team goes in and recovers. But uh, they've got to be – there's got to be more than that going on. There is. I mean, there absolutely. Is. There's, there is. Well, and, you know, like I'm fond of saying, you know, 
and I don't remember when in my contracting life I figured this out, but wars are good for business, man. I mean, if you just look through history, just, you know, and I tell folks all the time, stop the Google search. I mean, that's a good start. But if that's your start and end, <laughs> you're falling way short, man. Yeah. Look at your history. Wars are good for business. OK, um, I'm not saying that there aren't some wars that need to be fought. I'm not saying that there aren't wars or conflicts that the United States of America shouldn't be engaged in because, you know, there are. Mm-hmm. But I'm <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. No. So five now a thousand to two thousand was pretty common for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But you're saying up to five grand for these they guys were, per day. Yeah, that was one. Yeah, they were pushing high. And that was the you're, you're the they wanted specifically people who had especially too they spoke some kind of Eastern European dialect or okay. specifically like Ukrainian. Well, they wanted like you've been in that region. You can operate that region already. Right. So those were well, those were like already prepped and primed guys. Right. And you brought up an interesting good point, too, uh, for this discussion is that something that I for whatever reason I get distracted, I, I, get, I neglect to mention that if you've been there, regardless of the reason why you were there and you spent some time on the ground okay, and you've gotten to know the culture, you've gotten to know the people. And especially if you can speak the language, even if it's only yeah. conversational or just basic, you've got a foot up on a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes a huge difference, for like you just said. Uh, but it, it also uh, goes back to, you know, when we're talking about experience, so working on these starter contracts and one, whether you're knocking the Russian dust, shaking off the Russian dust, or you just get the downrange deployment time that you need to help check those boxes for the requirements. And I tell people there's a reason why there's requirements in place, and, it's, and the higher up in these projects you go, the higher mm-hmm. are the requirements. And there's a reason for it, because at some point, your life or my life or somebody else's life could be on the line. And they want to know mm-hmm. that not only do you have the skill set, all of the skill set that you need to operate safely and professionally and do the job. They want to also know that you're not going to be a liability. OK, that you're not. You know, I mean, we all have probably had a moment where we froze or choked a little bit. You know, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, shit, <laughs> you know, it happens, you know, and, and and I hear sometimes some guys that are honest enough to say, you know, it happened to me more than once, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And it, and it can. But that's what we're talking about, because there are articles, documentation, even here recently of guys and not just American soldiers and airmen and whatnot that are getting killed over in Ukraine on these contracts going over there. For the two thousand dollars a month or a day, five thousand dollars a day, and, and I try to explain to people, you know, there's a reason why it pays that kind of money. Think about it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's really that that trade off. Even like the work I do now, I mean, the stuff I was doing over in Kuwait and things, I'd say like maybe ninety nine percent of the time you're fine. Maybe you're just driving somewhere, you're good. Like it's easy, easy money. But then that one one percent of the time, if shit's gonna hit the fan, it's Right. You're making your money that day. Like you're definitely you got to be earning it that day. Right. And that's that that trade off. It I is think where people aren't ready for. Like you said too, like they want the pre vetted. The people who've had the experience and they know, like okay, these people have been tried and tested already. They can they can operate. They came back alive. That's good. Right. Yes. And that's one of the things I'm trying to find out now is how you know get being out of the military with the wars. You know, Afghanistan's done. Iraq's not what it was for you know a decade. Where do I get that? Kuwait? I don't think Kuwait's quite 
quite the place to really, you know, try and test myself. Well, there, there, uh, I saw something here recently too, but, and it's been, in, it's been around for a while, the contract, um, uh, and it's, I, th- I want to say it's Camp Bond Steel. I forget the project or the contract, but it's over there in that region of the world. And, and, it, and that contract project's been around for a long time, but there's plenty. And I tell people all the time, I said, there's no shortage of resources out there. If you just spend the time looking for the resources, you can find Who's advertising for these projects? Who's advertising for these contracts? Whether it's it's sourced through a government website and or a private website, they're out there. All you got to do is look for them. And if you qualify, send in your resume or your bio. If, you, if you're not qualified, don't send, don't waste their time. You know, I mean, I used to see and hear yeah. and read oh, that yeah. all the time. It's like, you know, man, dude, I get 100 resumes every day and only 10% of them are qualified. It's like, ah, you know. That's for uh, I was trying to figure out too because I've been looking at a lot of these these contracts. What I'm seeing for like the I call them the cool guy ones for lack of a better term, I guess. Uh, they just want deployment time. Doesn't necessarily say it has to be in a combat role. Mm. Uh, not all of them say it needs to be like oh you need to be in the military and deployed for a year. Uh, so I'm like, can I just go spend a year just doing something else in in Kuwait or Iraq? So I, can I go to Iraq for? I have a security clearance. So I'm getting a master's in intelligence. If I can get my master's done before my clearance expires, go take that. They call them half half cleared when you have a security clearance, but not necessarily the job experience, but they'll hire you for your security clearance kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I know those. Uh, talk some, yeah, I talked to some Intel, some Intel guys and asked them, like, hey, I want to get my master's in this. Like, oh, that's all you need. Yeah, like, yeah, get your master's. You have a clearance. Well, they'll hire you. They don't care if you're experienced or not. They'll hire you because of that. I'm like, well, I go do that for a year. Just go sit in Iraq or wherever and just maybe I just sort Intel for a year. Right. That's a year of deployment time. Right. Does that well, count? I think, I think they call it interim, an interim clearance, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, where, you're, where your clearance is in the process. There's no red flags, but it's still not – nobody's checked it off and said it's good. Yeah. So you're an interim. Yeah, we, we usually see some of that interim clearance stuff. Um, yeah. You know, speaking of which, so you mentioned masters, and that's an interesting point, too, that a lot of folks don't realize – so I remember um, it came up a number of times, but these guys would pound on it, not daily, but certainly a couple to several times a week down there on that. When I was in the program, we're talking about WPS. When we were mm-hmm. going through our instructional training, the trainers would tell us, you guys are not dumb. And they would go through this whole thing as to why we, you know, you're smarter than you realize. Okay, Because a lot of these guys, a lot of military people, whether they were enlisted or commissioned, a lot of us, I mean, some of us, maybe many of us, high school degree or trade school, this, that. But there's a lot of us out there that have a baccalaureate or have a master's or a Ph.D. OK, people don't re- recognize or realize just how smart a lot of us are. I think that's it. I think that's kind of stereotyping. If you lift weights and you like to go out with guns and body armor, then you got to be that you're that idiot grunt. Now, I was enlisted. I was a grunt and I. Had a you know high ASVAB score, could have been a translator or drone operator, and going into the army, I'm like no, nah, I'll go to the infantry. It's more fun. Uh, and that, yeah, that's it. I, I love my education, which thankfully it's an expensive hobby. It's probably when people ask like, what hobbies do you have? I'm like I don't know, play I play video games. I go to the gym a lot. Uh, <laughs> my education is probably one of those you know few hobbies I have. Huh. I love it. I enjoy it. Uh, I get stressed writing papers absolutely every single time. But I, I, it, it's very relaxing to me. Uh, my philosophy background, too, I like to narrow these things down. And 
find out what my beliefs are on certain things and why. Uh, I ended up writing a paper about the invasion of Iraq and the use of the justification for war. My opinion, U.S. had no justifications for war in Iraq. They did. A lot of them didn't count anymore. When you wait three-plus years after the Kurds get gassed, kind of late on the humanitarian aid right there, champ. Uh, sort of happened. But I ended up finding out. I did enhanced interrogation. Ended up supporting it. Surprised myself that way. Like, all right, I found enough reasons. Like, yeah, like not for everybody. But I'm like, yeah, we got to keep that tool in the toolbox just in case. Right. Uh, you know, and then, yeah, I, I want to go out and shoot. That's what I do. Go shoot yeah. things for fun. Head out my friends and shoot stuff. <laughs> but, I mean, but that, that harkens to an excellent point. It's called education, and, and, you know, researching. And, and that's the thing. So, so many of us hear the bullet point stuff, whether we read it or we see it or we hear it in a group discussion or whatever. But we never really go and read about it. We never look into it. We never research it. And when you do that, you have all these different viewpoints. And now you're a bit more educated about it. Now you can make an intelligent decision as to whether it makes sense or not. Because I'm right there with you, man. I mean, um, I mean I'm mean, i a patriot. And, you know, so if Uncle Sam says we're going to war, okay. But that doesn't mean I agree with it. Okay. And I and, – um, I'm fond of saying, you know, if, if you there's a there's there's a number of stations, calm channels, whatever you want on television, even though it's really not television anymore. Cable news, cable television. I'm sorry, yeah. cable television. Um, but back then, both in the first and the second Gulf War, it was slightly different. But if you looked at the way they portrayed the whole thing, it was beautifully orchestrated, both on the radio and television. I mean, they they made sure they went out of the way to make sure that we Americans knew that Saddam Hussein and the rest of the Iraqi military and all those government people were evil, wicked people. And they yeah. needed to be crushed. <laughs> I'm absolutely glad you brought that up. So I, I've wondered about like my life and reflecting on it. Am I OK? Like, you know, why? Why am I the person I am today? You know, why am I going to work with a, you know, a gun belt on and body armor you know, later tonight? What, what went wrong in my life? You know, what happened? <laughs> That's not a normal life for most people. And I, I've had my salary supervisor job. No, thank you. I, I like this. Uh, I grew up, I, I, I'm a, definitely, I, I said I'm 29, so I'm young. So I was in third grade when the towers got hit. Because I remember watching the second mm. one get hit on television before the teacher turned it off. Mm. Uh, one of my earlier memories, good start to childhood. <laughs> but like I, I, I grew up, uh, I graduated high school 2011. So. There you go. So you're already spending over time overseas. I'm, I'm still in high school having fun. <laughs> I realized, like, I, yeah, I grew up, like, I was in a small town in rural Ohio. That was it. Like, that was what you did. You served your, you served your country by killing the bad people in Iraq. Why are they bad people? Why are they they're terrorists? Oh, they're a dictator. Anyone there who's stopping you is a bad person because they need democracy. And I, I think that's part of it. You know, I've kind of, that's why I always grew up was, yeah, with that, whatever uh, propaganda they promoted at the time. It, it works. It works good. The government knows what they're doing. The military knows what they're doing, too. It works out well. <laughs> and now I've, I've kind of you know, dabbled in that lifestyle. You know, I like that contracting world. I like the security world. Uh, it still feels right. You know, maybe it's that little bit of warrior, car, warrior culture, the people you meet. Uh, I like the people I meet. My best friends are my military friends. I've got three people from high school I talk to. Everyone else is military friends or contracting friends. That's it. I got one, one college friend I made. It, the people are better. 
they sucked us in. They hooked line to synchro us, and I, I love it. I'm absolutely for it now. I mean, I, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I agree with why they do things, but hey, we're going overseas again. Renovation country, cool. Are you hiring? Like, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Well, you know, uh, that's interesting because, you know, the history of private security contracting or private military contracting, I mean, it's been around. People don't, I mean, some people do, but a lot of folks don't realize, man, it's been around in America alone for hundreds of years since our colonial days. Okay. It's been around uh, since we first started, you know, physically, officially fighting against the British. Okay, but it's been around for thousands of years, thousands of years. I mean, it doesn't matter. Pick your pick your person all the way. Genghis Khan. I mean, the Knights Templar. Just go down the list. I mean, this is nothing new. Um, And it's usually because the people that are in that private military company or that private security company, uh, it's either because the country involved doesn't have the resources to build an army and defend themselves or Mm -hmm. because they've got too many deployed over here. They need to augment what's going on here. And Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so there is a real need for it. And uh, I'm just waiting for the day where that happens in terms of law enforcement here in America. (laughs) And I say, if you have people and you can vet the people and find your qualified, you know, decent people, who cares? If they're volunteering for it, who cares? Right. I've spread arguments uh, in my undergrad and my graduate school that is the U.S. military contractors. You know, they're, they're getting paid to go fight wars. They're getting these educational benefits and this and that. The only difference is, you know, the government pays for it. So that's the only difference. The government pays for them versus the government paying a company to pay for private contractors. Right. Well, so you'd be doing nearly the same role. I know they're, they're iffy about the offensive stuff. but Right. Right. Well, yeah, there, I mean, and we all know that there was quasi-offensive stuff in the early days of the second Iraq war, okay, mm-hmm. Gulf War, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that it looked offensive because of what they were doing, but it, it wasn't. I mean, there are, you know, at the higher levels, uh, as you go into the alphabet agency stuff and some of the really stuff, the stuff that most people that – they're kind of off the books. They're not really publicized or advertised. You only hear about that project or that contract if somebody sends you an email out of the blue and you go, really? Interesting. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, but so, so so that those things right there, it, it, and it's it's it goes down to where I was going is that like uh, what? Regardless of the elite level of the troops that you're dealing with, whether it's the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, whatever, um, as you go up and down and left and right, it's no different than the generational thing like the father to the son or the daughter. We want to make sure that we've done a good job of instructing and training and handing the torch to the people that are going to carry that torch because we can only do this for so long. You know, so it's the next generation. So that's all we're trying to do in the private military or the private security industry is make sure that the people that we're handing the torch to can carry the torch and do the job. We're just looking for people that have the right attitude, that have the right mindset. And, and you know, because you can get physically strong, but you, you, you got to first have that mindset. You got to have the ability and the adaptability to learn and, and and take all that rough 
nefarious stuff that 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 you know people go wow man did you see that holy shit i can't believe it you know uh but yeah i mean you know you suck it up you get through that and uh you know you're 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 smoking and joking and grinning you know and but you know um Uncle Sam pays the, the the difference between the private security and private military contractors from an American standpoint. And I'm not speaking for other governments. Is that the money they spend, even if they spend the same amount of money on us as they do the guys in the military, they're still the part that they're saving on because they're still not spending as much is all the medical benefit stuff. Mm-hmm. OK, because. Um, especially if the military retires. So I'm just saying, so folks don't understand that. And a lot of the cost that you and I bear when we're overseas working is on us. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you want this Gucci gear for your feet or this Gucci gear for your weapon or this Gucci gear for that, that's fine. You can have it, but you're going to pay for it because mm-hmm. let's be honest, a lot of that stuff. And you, you remember from your, probably from your Kuwait contract, okay. a lot of the stuff that they give oh. you is like, what the really? <laughs> Yeah, they're just they're checking their boxes. They've issued you something. I kept stuff, you know, four months, five months. I kept stuff in the original packaging and just <laughs> I don't I'm not gonna open that. I don't need it. We're fine. Some mags checking that, I'm like, mm, no, like that's that's not gonna work it out here. Right. So and let me ask you, did you see a lot of did you come on your project there in Kuwait? And, and mm-hmm. um again, you know, I'm not trying to I I'm not trying to dismiss or dis or dis uh disrespect that project because it is a good starter project and it's a good one to go back to if you need to again get rid of some of that rust and dust but did you notice a lot of people or what was your impression some a lot or most people on that project that in your opinion you might have already said it that you think didn't probably you know they probably shouldn't be here even on a project like that some of them some of them i'd say maybe like half like the the most of the people there were probably okay they they could they can do what they need to do and they're fine okay. uh nothing against them maybe not too excited about it a few high speed guys and then maybe a bit more kind of the shouldn't have really been there okay uh, part of that issue is uh with with things changing too and kind of lifestyle changing i know i guess that contract had gone from previously just military people from combat mos's to combat MOSs and law enforcement. I got to the point where I think it's just any military experience in law enforcement, the kind of broadings they need to get people in. Uh, they had an issue where they had you know, there's female search points at that, at that base and the bases. Uh, they have to have female personnel, female contractors there to do it. They were hurting to the point where they had a uh, loss prevention, a target loss prevention person they had hired. Because wow. they couldn't find a military or law enforcement female at that time to fill the role. Huh. That's when things like, okay, like, you can sit there and you can pat people down and do that, and that's fine. VBET hits the gate, how are you going to react to that? If you have no no training past right. some basic, and even with Gavin DeBecker, uh, there's probably 30 people in the academy with me. I'm tracking about five of us that got job offers. More, I think more of us got job offers when about five of us are with the company. And so the people I saw that didn't get a job offer, one of them was just loss prevention. There's all the younger kid, 22, kind of fit, but that was it. Mm. And that's uh, questionable. I think a contract like that, I think it's a good way to kind of see if you can handle it. If you can do four or five months, and if you're like going to either 
you could be like me and say, hey, I just, I, I'm better than this. I know I can do more than this and leave. Or if you're like, man, I've been overseas for two months and my family hates me and I can't handle this anymore. I miss my mom. Uh, if you haven't been in the military or you don't have a lot of military experience overseas, maybe you're in the guard or something. Uh, there, there's some initial contracts like that that I think are good out there and that kind of helps weed some people out from that lifestyle. I was fine being overseas. I just, work life balance is crap. And if I couldn't get deployment time out of it, I was done. That was my, that was my cutoff then. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the, the per diem on that contract and we had the same thing, but I think at that time they called it FALA or F-A-L-A, foreign area living allowance or something like that. Okay. Um, and, uh, it wasn't the same amount, but I was really surprised at how much we got, uh, for that back then, uh, the first three or four months or so somewhere between the fifth and sixth month, they reduced it, uh, not by a lot, but they reduced it. And there were, and then probably at the company level, they wanted to reduce it some more, but there was a lot of pushback, but I was really surprised. I mean, that was like. My wife said, well, that's like a bonus check. Holy crap. That, yeah, you know? that's, that's about what it was out there, too. I mean, 12-hour days, six days a week. They're long if you haven't done before. But it, it pays all right and stuff. And then yeah. that pretty – it's a bonus check. It's nice. It was. It was. Uh, it's a good way to save money, especially, too. If you eat on base, you go to the chow hall, it's like four bucks for their buffet, and that's right. – four bucks is good. It's a good meal. Right. I don't mind chow hall food, so I'm okay <laughs> with the food poisoning here and there. Neither do – man, I tell you what. Some of my – uh, I mean, I, there were, I wouldn't say there were any bad defects that I, that I remember over there, but there were some that were like, wow. I mean, comparatively speaking, where we were, it was almost like a four or five star restaurant, but i tell you what, that's where I really can't, I mean, I mean, I loved it. The cod and all the other fish that they would serve. I mean, it's like, oh, it didn't, yeah. didn't matter which defect you went, they had, they had the two or three different kinds of fish, and I ate them all. <laughs> I like every time. Had the Easterners that were, you know, Southeast Asia that were working on the base and stuff. Uh, they didn't care about like the one portion of protein. You just, hey, can I get two of the fish and one of the beef? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And those will give you whatever servings you wanted to. Yep. Love the people, absolutely. Uh, that contract it, it may have changed a little bit now. I think they're paying more, if anything. Their housing's covered. Housing's pretty basic, but it, it's a room to stay in. You get some basic internet. Uh, housing's covered. Transportation to and from work is covered. I've been fine just staying on base. Right. Because the gym on base is a lot nicer than what we had. And that's it. They they cover your flight in and out of the country. They cover all your visas you need. Uh, they cover your housing. They cover your transportation. Right. Not bad. So you can you can save right. a lot of money. It, right. You can. It's a good way to and, save and, money. And that's and that's what I try to tell people is that if you're if you're thinking about it, if you're looking at it, uh, even the starter contracts are not a bad way to go because of the reasons that you just mentioned. So if you're not doing what a lot of guys did and going out on your time off and going, you know, into the city and buying stuff, you know, if, if you're going over there because you went over there because you wanted to bankroll some stuff, you wanted to pad your savings or whatever, you know, something along that line, it's a great way to do it. I mean, I don't remember what my uh, even on that project, on that contract, um, I don't remember the exact figure, but it was between and I only and because we had an option for roughly six months or so to work five on two off if we wanted. It was primarily a six on one off. And there were times where we went seven. 
Um, it, you know, it just depended on the ebb and flow of personnel and what their needs were and, and how you felt, you know, because and sometimes they didn't care how you felt. If you didn't, it's like, dude, I'm tired. It's like too bad. Come to work anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, I guess where I'm going is that it was somewhere between 75 and 100 K for that one year. And, and, and it was and, you know, so the the, the overall compensation package, because we also got bonus if you stuck around it and and whatnot. But the overall compensation was probably a little bit more than what it is now. But the point being that you can do all right if you're over there to make money. If you're not over there to spend and buy things, you know, you you know, <clears throat> and then you take you take your housing out of that. You take a lot of other expenses out of that. It's, yeah. Utilities and stuff are usually covered. You're it's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, the, and then whether you're a manager or your admin or whatever your job is. I mean, that's another year on your resume, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's in a foreign land, okay? If you're from America or Canada or, you know, somewhere in Europe, whatever. I'm just saying all those things add up and help. Um, now, whether white-collar corporate America recognizes that and understands what it really means, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. you know but, but guys like us know what that means because we, we've endured the same sort of thing. Um, but that, yeah, it's... I, yeah, I, I tell people all the time, it, it, there's there's nothing wrong with these starter contracts. It's, uh, um, you know, and, and everything else just builds on that. It doesn't matter what career you're in, okay? And, and I, I, I tell people, you got to stop this. You know, I, I just, you know, I went into debt 100 grand for my four-year degree. I need to get out and start making a six-figure income. It's like, no, you don't. I said, do you know how many of us work 20, 30, 40 years to get where we're at, okay, oh, yeah. and our parents and grandparents told us, hey, that's just, you know, we used to call it earning your stripes, you know, look, dude, just shut up, close your mouth, open your ears and your eyes, eventually, you'll have enough stripes that you have something to say, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm not trying to say that in any disrespectful way, because I, I it, you know, it's true, I mean, that's the experience you kind of need. Like, there's there's just things you don't know until you go through it. There, right. there, you've got to kind of spend your time, even for the company I'm at now, they even tell you, like, hey, you're going to spend more time in the uh, the command center than you will out in the field just because you're new. And you got to sit there and spend some time learning how these things really work before you go out. And any job's really like that. Right. Which is, well, which and is that's good. important. It's, wrong it's crucial. It. You need to learn those those building blocks, the, the fundamental foundations that form what you're doing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's key. I mean, like, you know, our, our big thing on the contract was, was force protection on that first, that first project. And it's like, wow, I didn't run it. It, it actually force protection encompasses an, an awful lot of stuff. Okay. Uh, about, I mean, it can arguably, cause there were times where we would escort people. So, I mean, you can even, so you even got escort portions to force protection. Okay. So I'm just saying for anybody that's out there, that's looking at that and looking down their nose, it's like, you don't realize, I mean, force protection takes, I mean, you mentioned V-bids. So whether it's IEDs or V-bids or fires or, you know, indirect or direct, I mean, it just, it pretty much encompasses and covers everything. From there, because now you're a generalist, and you can get pretty good at some of these things if you practice them enough, searching vehicles, searching people, you know, knowing what to look for. Because, you know, it's kind of like your basic infantry school. You learn all this stuff, and then you go on to advanced infantry. And then 
if you've got the gumption, you move on, you know. And so I'm just saying, it's a great building block, man. Oh, yeah. I would say, too, one of the things I think helps a lot, uh, I like to talk, I'm great at talking. Uh, two undergraduate degrees in philosophy, I'm great at bullshitting. It's perfect. I, I'm very good at it, especially on paper. You can sit and do one of these initial contracts, like, you know, working overseas in Kuwait or something like that, that may not be the biggest and baddest thing in the world. But if you recognize what you're doing, that you are learning, like, yes, I'm learning Force Pro. I'm learning how to do entry points. I'm learning how to do access points. And you can sit there and you can document that the proper way and you can explain it the proper way. So if someone calls you and you do get a call from a recruiter, like, well, well, what did you do there? Are you just a security guard? And you go, yeah, it's just a guard on the base. They ain't going to get you anywhere. But you say, oh, well, not, not quite. I did entry points. I did access points. I did security right. checks. You know, did people, I, did, I did bag searches. I'm searching for IEDs. I'm searching for contraband. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing, you know, right. checking ranges, working towers. If you can, it, that's why I like education. I think education as a general thing as well. Like learn how to speak, learn how to phrase things, learn, talk to people, learn the way things are and the way things can be said. Uh, you can take that initial contract and go far with it. Yes. Uh, like even me, like my, my, my nine months in the Baltics, I didn't get shot at. I got two RCOMs out of it though. I did escort missions for VIPs. I worked with international forces. I did infiltrations and exfiltrations, the special forces group and recon units as well. I did VIP escorts. I worked with political members and had cabinet members in my vehicles and provided security for them at events. Hmm. It might look like, you know, a short TD-214 or a short little I did this or that. Yeah, in the Baltics. If you know what you did, you can break it down really step by step, which is what that learning process is. It's like, you know, doing your basics and learning what everything is, if you can break everything down, what you did step by step, it, it, it's a lot more than I think people understand. And you can make it look like a lot because even those initial things are are a lot. You're not working Dollar General uh, doing their loss prevention. You're, you're doing a lot there. Nothing against Dollar General. I love Dollar General. I, I go there probably every every week I'm there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot you can do with a little bit. Yeah, no, there I'll is. Take you. Uh, but I, I got to a point. And I don't know about, you know, you may or may not, but I got to a point where I got tired of trying to explain to people. So I would just say, look, here it is, you know, and if, and they would ask, I would give them general broad. I mean, if they asked a specific question, I would give them a specific mm-hmm. answer. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, I mean, if, if, if they had a military or a law enforcement background, a military background, they would probably understand, figure it out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement. You know, 50-50. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, unless they were in the military previously. Okay. A civilian who hasn't, where all their knowledge comes from video games or YouTubes or books or movies, it's completely lost on them. So, you know, I'll just, you know, yeah, force protection or um, site security manager or whatever. I would just, you know, and let them make whatever they want to make out of it. But it's like... (laughs) I just said I got to a point where I just don't I just don't I don't explain it anymore. I don't care. It's, it's one of the things I always love when you have like a situation or something, someone asks or you like scenario say, Oh, someone's like, Well what what would you do in this specific scenario? I'm like, well that's a very like you need some more context, it's a very specific thing, like context wise. Like if this happens, you kinda wanna do this, but if that happens, like also you're just going with the flow, like right. and then when you do get a little bit more I think experience with any kind of security thing in your background, someone's like, Oh, why'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know, it felt right. Like I hated this, so I just acted like this. Like it wasn't planned. It wasn't like by some book, you know, some explained to me. It's just that's just how I reacted because it was the right thing to do, you know. And if it's not, I'm gonna pretend it was the right thing to do anyways. 
<laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I, I hardly, I, it's been a long time since I've been asked that question that you mentioned, but I do remember early on when, when I would come home in, on rotation, I try to get on with standard security companies, uh, which I've completely distanced myself from now. I think you and other guys know that. I mean, I've got absolutely nothing good to say about the standard security model, um, which applies to most companies in America and other countries. But um, where we, so, but the uh, taking that and um, making it making it work with these guys just it, it just it, pro- it proved to be a true um, academic failure trying to talk to these people because they would ask me what you're talking about. And it's like, well, okay, if I'm reading this question correctly, because they would always have it in print form, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, this is, this is how I would respond if, you know, Mm -hmm. but it, that would vary upon whatever else happened. But just based on this very narrow description you put, this is how I would respond. Never got a job offer. I'm like, long story short, I, I actually, um, the only private security company I ever worked for after my first contract was the company I'd worked for before going overseas. And I only worked for them for a few, well, uh, it might have been about six months with, with, with the various stuff I did for them before I just said, man, this is worse than it was bef- the first time I worked for these guys. Okay. And I just, you know, but I'm just saying, I feel for you because it's, you know, once once you've, again, once you've been outside your bubble, once you've gone mm-hmm. out, especially outside the United States of America, okay, and you've experienced real world stuff, okay, trying to explain that to these guys and trying to apply it to white papers and theory and chalkboard drawings and, and lectures and what the state security, you know, says this and that, and probably 98% of those people have absolutely no basis and experience for any of it, okay, uh, but experts say, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, according to studies, you know, kind of. Yes. It, it, I always, my, my joking phrase I always use, and uh, I use it in New Mexico, which said, like, if you ever see me crouched down, like, if I'm ever, like, crouched over and going, shit, 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 and I'm, like, wobbling somewhere, like, that's me taking cover and freaking the fuck out because something bad is about to happen. Like, that's, that's my body reacts. It's just shit, shit, shit. I start panicking as my brain starts processing. Like, that's it. That's my panic phrase. I'm like, and that's okay. Like, I know what it is. I recognize it and I work with it. Uh, and I did my, my one favorite uh, being a, a new new guy story from the Army. We're doing uh, – I've been in the unit, like, a week or two. We got to the field for a couple of days or something like that. Going through the woods, student patrol, we're supposed to get ambushed. They don't tell us it's going to be a mass cow exercise. So they're, they're, you know, they're just picking off people. They're waiting to see if the, the squad leader realizes it and pulls us back. It was a corporal at the time they had running it. And they start doing it, they start doing it. My buddy is on the 249. We all have blanks. You know, he's on the 249. He gets killed off. I'm like, well, shit, well, that's a little bit of that training. You know, is like, hey, we're supposed to get that up. That's the big one. We like it. Threw some, some random dude my rifle. Grabbed my buddy's 249. I rolled, you know, this all blanks and training. I rolled him on his side and put it over his head. So the bipod's right in front of his face and the barrel's like sticking over his head, like over his ear. I'm like, hey, man, make sure you plug your ears. And he just says, why? And I just hold the hammer back. And no, it's just fire and it's just blanks. So eventually we leave. We finish and during the AR, they're like, hey, 
who is the guy who rolled his buddy's corpse on his side and used it for cover? I'm like, <laughs> like who taught you that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, he's dead and has plates. Might as well use them. And they're like, exactly. Like, that's right. That's perfect. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't know. That's, that's what they like. I would have never sat there and read a paper or asked that question or something like that. It's just brains firing. We're doing the scenario. Hey, look, he's gone. He's got armor plates on him. He's not using them anymore. Time to just start going. Uh, yeah, he's probably a whole civilian. I'm glad you laughed at that, too. He couldn't hear for about three days out of that year. He hated me. Uh, <laughs> you try to tell a civilian that, too, or somebody who's not used to, like, you know, they're, they're standard security kind of people. Right. And they just freak out kind of thing. I had a very nice woman I met, and we're, we're very nice, very intelligent. We're chatting once and talking about our different lifestyles. And she goes, oh, but isn't, like, having to wear a gun and a vest, isn't that dangerous? I'm like, yeah, probably. I don't know. Like, <laughs> most days, no. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> Right. Well, it's just like I don't, I don't think about it. I don't worry about it too much. Right. Yeah, it's it's a good, it's a cultural thing. I would say too. Once you kind of get into this field, there's a big cultural shift. It is between between your standard people. I had a friend in college, the University of Arizona, uh, the Veterans Center there, beautiful Veterans Center, very supportive for veterans at that campus. He spent a summer working with them. He's a normal, normal, you know, kid in college and stuff, normal path. Uh, you see him again in the fall in the same major, and he's like, "Han." He's like, "Man, I was there in the summer." He's like, "It was a whole different world." He's like, "There's nowhere else on campus like that veteran center." He's like, "People are cussing, they're telling like <laughs> dirty jokes, talking about killing people, and laughing about it." I'm like, "Yeah, that's just yeah, it's just okay." Like, was did something unique happen? You wanted to tell me about like that's just normal. <laughs> they just say all the people. Uh, all the people he met said were very nice to him. And I think that's one of the nice things about our line of work. There are some people who aren't great, just like anywhere. But I feel like this community is definitely a bit more inviting, welcoming, friendly, right. and kind, which is surprising. You think all of us are supposed to become these big, bad, scary dudes. Uh, they're not. Yeah. If you see a dude, ask him a question or two. Just don't be a dick about it. And I'm sure you'll find someone who's willing to, to help you out. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think that just it's, it's uh, it comes down to – Having been exposed to being outside your bubble, being exposed to outside your comfort zone, after a certain period of time, just you experience enough that with everything that you've taken in, that all the sensory overload stuff that you've that you've experienced for however many years, it's like at some point, once you get through it all, it, you, you start to recognize that we're not all the same. I mean, I can be polite and courteous to pretty much anybody, okay? But like a, a friend of mine here mentioned recently, he says, you know, I'm friends, actual friends with two kinds of people. And one of them is veterans. And the other one is uh, small business owners who bootstrap their businesses, okay? Because they both have pretty much the same kind of mindset, you know? And um, he said, so in terms of friendships, and I've, you know, you because you kind of harken on that earlier in this discussion, but that's kind of where I'm. I mean, I've got friends, but the people mm -hmm. that I get along with best are the people of that are veterans and small business. Not always small business owners, because some of them are just, you know, it's like, dude, you need to get outside your state once in a while, um, you know, but certainly veterans. And again, not all veterans, because some of them, it's kind of like, oh, man, um, Maybe you should have stayed in that hospital a little bit longer. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> uh, 
but no, I'm yeah, no man, it, it is it is a it is a fantastic what we call a family, and uh, yeah, I agree 100. Um, hang on a second. So um, yeah, I've got sorry brother, I've got people you know trying to call me, but uh, I thought I thought I muted everything. How's that coming? Uh, popular. Through? That's- yeah, I'm a little popular too. Got tons of messages myself and the phones. The whole yeah, it's just oh, it keeps going off. I'm I'm really cool too. Showing off. You already have the podcast. I don't know if you need to show off anymore. It's actually my wife. Okay, I'll be honest. It's okay. my wife. Okay, I got two phones and she's trying to well because they're she's in she's on some cruise somewhere and she's trying to call me and I'm going to hear about it here in a minute when I call her back. Uh, but so let me let me do this. Um. First, I would like to invite you back at some point in the future and do this again. Okay. Second, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your day to do this for me. This has been awesome. Uh, and the third one is, before we wrap this up, or as we wrap mm-hmm. it up, do you have anything that you would like? Uh, last, last thing, or last things, or something, or some things you would like people to keep in mind um, or takeaways. Uh. Yeah, I guess try to try to try to short and sweet as best I can. Uh, if you're new to this field, you want to get into the contracting world, you just got to put yourself out there. Like we said, there's contracts out there. They aren't necessarily always the best or the greatest. Go do one, especially if you can find one overseas. Go do one overseas. Get your feet a little bit wet. See what you think about it. Get to know people. And if you don't have other alternatives of doing work stateside or security work stateside, notable security work, not the standard stuff. I'm sure at some point Scott's had a good rant about. If you can do good, legitimate work the government's going to recognize, uh, spend some overseas. Spend some time, get some work in, get to know people. It sucks. I, I would like to be doing a lot more at this point in my life. It is what it is. I'll do a year. I'll do two years with this company. If I have to go back to Kuwait for a year, because that's why I need to step up, that's what I have to do. Uh, it is what it is. Suck it up. Deal with it. Get used to it. Right. Like it get you, get, do your stripes. Get your time. Uh, have fun. Ask questions. Make good yep. friends. Uh, send me money on Venmo. Whatever you want to do. That's all acceptable things. But yeah, don't, don't, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to go out of, out of your comfort zone. Uh, I've worked in multiple states in the last year worked in the, been in different countries in the last couple of years. Just go do it. Give it a shot. Best you can do, give it a shot. So is that, is that motivational? Uh, fuck around <laughs> and find out. Sometimes you find out and it's okay. So yeah, if you fuck around and find out, sometimes it's good finding out. It's not always bad. That's right. Thank you, Douglas Harbin, for being a guest on O'Connor's The Contractor's Life. So then, Thank you, everyone, for taking time out of your day, afternoon, or evening to listen to me talk about private security contracting overseas as well as some of my experiences as a private security contractor overseas. Thank you to my wife, for whom I owe immeasurable gratitude. Thank you to my family, my friends, and all the people, male and female, who have been and still are a part of my life. Remember, folks, it takes a team. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Stay humble, stay safe, and keep others safe by being aware and staying frosty. Until next time, keep it real. 
Oconus the Contractor's Life extends a special thank you to music composer Kava Cohen and to Colin Perry of Ninja Tracks for allowing Oconus the Contractor's Life the use of Kava's song Heavy Clutch from the music soundtrack to the game Forza Motorsport 7. And also a big thank you to Andres Rodriguez who can be found at the Fiverr website for his excellent original music scores. <laughs>